First of all, I want to thank today's class is dedicated by someone who, another man I'm very, very close with. We learn with him every Shabbat. He's actually part of, I'm part of this shul and another shul is part of both shuls we're involved in. Um, his name is Aiki Shabtai, who is dedicating today's class in honor of his wife, Claire. So Aiki, thank you very, very much. We love you very much. We're proud of you very much. He's been very instrumental in helping build that building that you look, that Bezat Hashem will be in sooner than later on the corner of Kohen and East Second. And he's a big part of this shul and a big part of everything that we do. So we want to thank Aiki very much. And I happen to have the honor of teaching his daughter every day. And she's really, really a wonderful girl. So Aiki and Claire, you're doing a fantastic job in raising your home and raising a house that's building more and more building blocks of Torah and Mitzvot and Chesed and Tzedakah. And Hashem should give you the blessing to be able to continue to do so. Okay. Today's class, I think, I could best categorize as a gift. If you can incorporate what we're going to talk about today, this will be a gift to you. A gift to your life. A gift to your family life. A gift to almost many, many interactions and dealings that you have on a normal day, if you can master what we're going to talk about today, you will have a gift. And I don't think I'm exaggerating by saying it that way. <laughs> it won't be that easy, because most really good, significant gifts aren't that easy. But if you can master this, you will be blessed with this gift. You can even think of challenges that you're dealing with with other people in your life. I don't care if it's family or friends or neighbors or community competition, whatever you're feeling. And I'm pretty confident that this gift can help you in a major way. Where Parashat Vayishlach, in the middle of Yaakov Avinu's life, he decided to end the last week's parashah. It's time to leave the house of Lavan, his father-in-law. He takes his two wives, plus Bilhan and Zopah. He takes his, at that point, 12 children, 11 boys, and one girl. They get up and they leave. What made Yaakov Avinu decide that now is the time that he is prepared to leave? So the pasuk hints to it. Because the pasuk says, in the end of last week's parashah, which will lead us right into this week, as you'll see, the Pasuk says that Yaakov, Yaakov saw he saw that Rachel now gave birth to his 11th son Yosef and he says now it's time to go. What about Rachel giving birth to Yosef tells you that it's time to go. So Rashi says Rashi says that once Yosef was born he now knew he had the antidote to Esav. The antidote, the best way to combat Esav was with Yosef. So now he felt comfortable to leave the house and whatever dealings he's going to have to have with Esav, he's ready for them. Which brings us to our parasha. When Yaakov is going, parasha Yishlach, and Esav comes with 400 men and sure enough, he seems to handle it perfectly. There's no incident, there's no war, there's no fight, everything goes Beautifully, Yaakov goes on to his way and he's good. What about the birth of Yosef makes him ready for Esau? 
What about the birth of Yosef told him, now you can leave the house of Lavan, and now if you see Esau on the road, which he right away did, you will be ready for it, you can handle it, and you'll know what to do. The answer is somehow at this point, Yaakov Avinu received the gift. What is this gift? There is a phrase in the middle of our parasha that Esav says to Yaakov, which is not really my point in terms of the whole interaction with them, but it's a short phrase that he throws out that has a powerful lesson in it. He says, You should have what's yours. You should have what's yours. On the Pasuk, we have a commentary written, it's not really a commentary, it's written thousands of years ago, called the Targum. Targum comments and usually just defines the Hebrew words in Aramaic. But every now and then, or fairly often, the Targum will switch a word, or add a word, or add an addition, or explain it a little differently. And usually there's a lot of insight in that little switch that the Targum does. This pasuk is one of those. The pasuk says, you should have what's yours. Says the Targum, Achi, my brother, Atzlach bedilach. Be successful in what you have. What does that mean, be successful in what you have? The answer is, it means, that there's no other way to have what's yours than to feel successful with what's yours. The only way to really say, I have it, I like it, I enjoy it, I'm happy with it, is if you feel successful in what you have. That means my car, my house, my children, my marriage, my parents, my family, my income, my reputation, I'm happy about it. I'm excited about it. I feel good about it. What the Targum is saying, the only way you even have it is if you feel successful with it. Because you can have it and be miserable about it, you don't really have it. But if you feel successful with it, then you have it. The definition of the words, have what's yours, is feel successful in what's yours. As the Gemara and Shabbat says, which is very famous to a Mishnah you've heard many times, Ezu Ashir, who is a wealthy person? The Mishnah says, The Gemara says, Someone who feels good about his wealth. If you feel good about what you have, then you have what you have. Then you have real happiness. This is not the gift I'm talking about. The gift I'm talking about is to me the only way to have this. The only way to have that feeling of success. The only way to have that feeling of I have what I have. The only way to sort of enjoy your wealth. The only way to feel atzlach bedilach, atzlach hatzlacha with yours. The only way to feel that success with yours is to have this quality. And to me, this quality is what our class is going to be about. This quality is not so easy to achieve. And this quality, you're not going to understand right away why it's so important. That's why we need a whole class. But this quality, I believe, is so critical in order to really enjoy what you have, in order to feel successful in what's yours, in order to have happiness in your day-to-day life. This gift is the gift of indifference. Indifference. You know what indifference means? You don't care. Indifference. There are things that to you don't matter. They're not important. You're indifferent towards it. 
Now I know you have no idea why this is a gift. So give us time. If by the time I'm done you don't agree, I'll give you your money back. <laughs> the greatest example of all time, the example that you've heard a million times, is Haman. Haman has everything in the world. Aman is the second, Haman is the most second most powerful person in his time. He has all the wealth, he has all the power, he has all the fame, he has everybody bowing down to him. Yet there's one man who won't bow down to him, the man is Mordechai. And what does Haman say? All of this is worthless to me as long as I see that man. If you were advising Haman, what would you tell him? If you saw Haman and you had advice for him and you looked at all that he has, you see his bank account, you see his palaces, you see his family, what would you tell him about Mordechai? Here's what I would tell him. Haman, you need the gift. Look at Mordechai and be indifferent. Just don't care. It doesn't matter. He's one guy. Ignore it. If you were able to be indifferent, you would have been so unbelievably wealthy, so powerful, and you would have still been alive. All you need to do is have the gift of sometimes knowing how to press the button of indifference. There are areas in your life when you're in interaction with people or when you're in a debate with people, most times we think we have only two tools in our chest. We either have the tool of agreeing or we have the tool of disagreeing. So if there's an argument happening in our house, or argument happening amongst my sisters, or if there's a conversation happening with brothers-in-law, or there's something happening with my kids, either I need to agree or I need to disagree. No, that's true. There are times where the right thing to do is to agree. The right thing to do is to admit. And there are some times that the right thing to do is to disagree and to fight back. But there are times where the best thing to do is just be indifferent towards it. it doesn't whatever. You become so powerful. I'll give you my little example. You see, I am terrible at this gift. My wife is unbelievable at it. I am terrible. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. Let's say we're having a holiday meal. So we're going to invite our siblings, six siblings. To me, we need all six to come. All of them have to be there and all their kids. That's how the meal is going to be fantastic. We're going to have an sukkah. We have a very big sukkah. And they're all going to come and invite all your brothers and invite all your sisters. And they're all going to be there. And I'm all worked up at how they're all going to be there. And then one says they can't come. And the other one lives too far. And now I start getting worked up. Why are they coming? They have to go to the in-laws? Who are the in-laws? They have a chance to go to my house. Why are they going to the in-laws? This doesn't matter. This is our day. First day. Second day. And I'm all worked up. My wife's like, whatever. If two come, two come, three come, three come, four come, four come. Whoever comes, comes. We're going to have a good time with them. She has the gift of indifference. She's just, it's fine. Whoever can make it, can make it. Someone can't make it. I get it. Someone can't make it. So every time we have an event, I care so much. Literally, if my son has a bar mitzvah, I notice when every single brother and every single brother-in-law, when they come, how long they stay, and when they leave. I'm regular, I'm at the door keeping score. Two hours, two hours and five minutes. That guy was out, he went to give a class in the middle and came back, I noticed. I am come all over it the whole night. And I'm not joking. And I remember, my wife is indifferent. We're having our son's mom, so they come, family, we love them, they're good. Whatever, guy wants to give a class, he has to go, he has to come, it doesn't matter. It's a gift. Because 
She enjoys a holiday meal, whether she got straight sevens and everyone's there or not. She's happy. Haman didn't have this gift. He ended up dead. <laughs> Let me tell you a story of the Gemara. It's actually not in the Gemara. It's part of the Midrash Tanchuma, the story. And the meaning of the story, I believe, is exactly what we're talking about right now. So, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, one of the great rabbis, the author of the Mishnah, was walking what it seems to be in Rome. And he's walking with his two sons, Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Chia. And Antoninus, okay, Anthony came, was one of the Caesars, came and wanted to see Rabbeinu HaKadosh. They had a close relationship, it's known. So he sent one of his officers to come get Rabbeinu HaKadosh, his great rabbi, and his two sons to come talk to him. They see the officer from far. And the officer, you can imagine a Roman officer a couple of thousand years ago, and they have the, you know, great stallion, and he's on a high horse, and he's wearing a very tall hat and prestigious armor. He looks fantastic. And Rabbi Shimon says, wow, look how well they're doing here. And Rabbi Chia says, my brother, come with me. He comes to the marketplace. They go to the market, and in the market there's Okay, he comes to one of the stands, one of the people, grocers, selling a basket of grapes. So you see the basket of grapes? He says, you see, you see what's on top of it? He sees the little flies flying around on top of the grapes. So you see those flies? That officer is equal to those flies. Rabbi Shimon goes to tell his father's story. He says, you know, my brother just took me to the marketplace and said that that officer is equal to those flies. The father says, he gave the officer too much value. He's not even worth the flies. What's the point? The point that Rabbi Kadosh is saying, and Rabbi Chiyah, his oldest son, is saying, is that you put too much stock in it. You're valuing it too much. You need to be indifferent. So you see the prestige, and you see the horse, and you see the helmet, and you see the armor, and you see all the, you see all the, the ammunition that he has, and you're so impressed. Don't be impressed. Be indifferent. Don't let it get to you. Why are you thinking about it? And again, I'll give you a very another real personal example. My wife and I had the opportunity, if you call it that, to go to Rome for two days. So we were in Rome for two days. And I was, I don't know if anyone here has ever been to Rome. No one's been to Rome? Have you been to Rome? So if you've been to Rome, you know what it looks like. There's, you know, there's the Colosseum, which is very impressive. And there's thousands of people in there. And then you go to the Arch of Titus. And then everywhere you go... There's a sculpture or a statue or a building that's like humongous. So I'm like, wow, this is unbelievable. This is so cool. This is so impressive. And I'm like commenting on everything. We did this one day. Now we're going on our tour the second day. Even the shul is humongous. But I'm going, this, look at this sculpture. There's waterfalls coming out of the guy's mouth. And it's just, wow. And it's in the middle of the, the whole square. Everything's just so impressive. And it's very hot. And one day with, with the tour guide, just my wife and I had the tour guide. And I turned around. And I see my wife, and she's crying. I'm like, honey, what's wrong? She says, I don't care about all this. This is just it's nothing. I don't know why you're excited. It's just nothing to me. I'm like, honey, it's just cool. I'm not saying I'm worshiping anything. I'm just saying it's cool. She says, it's, just, it's just nothing to me. I told the tour guide, okay, i tell you the truth. Um, it's, not, it's not working out so well. You could go on your way. My wife and I, we went back to the hotel. My wife needed like some time to recoup. 
And then I guess she did, we did something that was valuable to her. We went shopping. But, <laughs> but the point is, the point is, it was being unimpressed is so impressive. Being indifferent is so powerful. What Rabbi Chia was telling his younger brothers that don't get so excited about the armor and the prestige and the Rome. You're too into it. Because when you get too into it, it starts to get in your brain. You start to think about it. It starts to bother you. And I'll explain more soon. End of last week's parasha, Rachel Imenu. Rachel Imenu steals her father's terafim. It's not clear exactly what the terafim are, but she steals, maybe it's idols, maybe it's something else. She steals the terafim and the way the pasuk says it, she takes it and Yaakov doesn't know she even took it. Lavan comes after them to see it, to see where it is. And she's sitting on top of it. She says, I can't get up. I'm sorry, I can't get up. I'm going through something right now. I can't get up. And she holds it and eventually... Because of it, Yaakov you know, said, whoever has it will die. He didn't know it was his wife. And she passes away. What was she trying to do? What was she trying to do to sit on these terafim? Says the Zohar HaKadosh, she was trying to take these things that represent everything that's tameh, everything that's not, that's, that we don't believe in, and make it unimportant, and make it sort of degraded, and make it just not significant in my life. Sometimes in order to live life in a happy way, you need to make certain things just not exist. You need to make certain things not matter. You need to be indifferent. I'm going to give you another example and then show you how I think it plays out in a lot of ways. So, two of my kids like to go to sleep early. One is my son who's 14. He does his thing every night. He knows his time. You never have to tell him ever. He's like a clock, takes a shower, goes to bed, he's done. Literally, if no one was home, we'd go to bed at the exact same time. In fact, if I need him something, he says, Dad, I'm sorry, I have to go to sleep. That's his, that's his style, okay? And then I have a daughter right under him who gets tired very early, but she can't handle it. So she makes sure that all her younger siblings go to sleep before her, so she's not going to sleep the youngest. She's not older going to sleep earlier than her younger sister. So it's a big deal with her. She's going to sleep and she's tired and people make fun of her. You're tired. Why are you tired so early? You're tired. And she can't stand the whole thing. The other night, she sees me in bed early. She says, Dad, I don't understand. You could go to bed early. And, and me, everyone always bothers me when I go to bed early. Like when I want to go to sleep. Like why is it a big deal? I said to Ruthie, it's not about what they say. It's about what you hear. If... Yes, they make comments. You look at Shaul, they make comments to him also. He doesn't even hear it. There's no way talking about going to see brother. He doesn't care. It's what I do. I do what I do. Whatever you say, I'm indifferent to it. She's, he's exactly my wife. Shaul's exactly my wife. It doesn't matter. But Ruth is exactly me. Whatever they say, you're thinking about. Just don't hear it. You want to go to sleep at 9 o'clock? I don't care when your friends go to sleep. I don't care when your younger sister goes to sleep. You're tired? Go to sleep. Just be indifferent. But no, we, you keep hearing every comment, every joke, every remark. You're hearing it so much, you're driving yourself crazy. Indifference is such a gift. Anyone who feels jealous, the only reason why you're jealous is because you don't have this gift. Be indifferent. 
Someone has a house, they have a car. Allow yourself the gift of indifference. Don't think about it. It doesn't matter. They have to, you, your house is good. Your house is good. Till last week it was good. Then you found out they were under construction. Now it's not good. No. Be indifferent. Don't think about it. Try to build. It's not so easy. But if you could build and train yourself to be indifferent to certain things. I'm just not in that game. People think in this community there are wealthy and there are not wealthy. That's not where the divide is. The divide is between people who care about money and people who don't care. That's the bigger divide. Because the person who cares, I don't care what they have, they're always involved in some competition and some misery. And the person who doesn't care, I don't care what they have, they're usually involved in some happiness. Because they're just indifferent. It doesn't matter to them. It's not important. It's not significant. Sometimes people are in an argument. So it's so effective when regards to jealousy. It's also so effective with arguments. Sometimes you're in an argument and you're like, just be indifferent. Let the person think they're right. Let them think they're right. Let them go home tonight thinking they're right. Let them think that they beat you. What happens? Just be indifferent to it. You know, I've had the blessing over the last 15 years of every now and then having a person who really didn't like me. And now, I told you, that doesn't fit with my nature. So my nature is to fix it right away. To talk to them, to figure it out, to explain myself. And for some reason, I'm thinking of three different people at different points. People that I think I'm close to all of them at this point right now. But at certain points in my life, I was not. Three of them, that was so, that drove me crazy. And then I realized the only tool I have. Agreeing with them is not going to work. Disagreeing with them is not going to work. The only tool I have is indifference. It doesn't matter. The guy doesn't like me. What am I going to do? He doesn't like me. Okay. A lot of other people, that one person doesn't like me. That one person is not going to be my strongest relationship. I'm I'm not going to look here. I'm going to look there. I'm just going to talk to these people. And I'll have fun with these people. This person decided they don't like me. They have their reason where they tell other people. They don't tell other people. I'm just going to be indifferent towards it. And I've gained the strength in some way. I'm not, I'm not at my wife's level yet, but I'm getting there. That where I'm indifferent. That person doesn't like me. That person is in an argument. That person thinks I'm wrong. So there's a guy who goes to bed at night and thinks Joey Haber is wrong. The world has come to an end. I'm just not going to think about it. I'm going to be indifferent. It works also when you get insulted. Are you the kind of person who gets highly insulted? If you are, it's because you don't have this gift. It's because everything that everybody says you hear. And every hint that everybody says you hear. But there are some people, they walk around, and if you're a person that gets insulted a lot, you know what I mean. There's some people that walks around, and you just look at them, and you're like, I'm jealous of them. Because they walk around with the gift. They walk around with just indifference. Ah, that person, whatever. That person doesn't like my food. Okay. That person doesn't like my class. Okay. Whatever. There's other people that do. It's not, it's not, just indifferent. If you have the strength of indifference, you have such a great gift. Sometimes you feel it. Sometimes fake it. Like you want to, you, you know, you, 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 it's boiling inside. Just say, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, you, you, don't like, you didn't like what I did? Oh, okay. Just move on. Even though inside you're dying and you can't fall asleep at night. Don't tell anybody. Just keep going. Fake it. You have the tool. You have the gift. You have the power. Because indifference is something, a power you always have. And then all of these things just start to slide away. The jealousy and the arguments and the insults, which sometimes your head could be wrapped in all three of them. Some are the jealousy. Sometimes you're insulted. Sometimes you're angry. Sometimes you're in an argument. And you're so caught up. Or you could be the kind of person who walks through Rome and doesn't see anything. 
whatever. Uh, okay, well, a guy made a statue 2,800 years ago, whatever. Doesn't, it's not in my mind. It's not something I think about. It's not something I care about. So this one's building a house. The other one's, the other one's kid got valedictorian. The other one's buying a new job. The other one got a shop car. The other one got to build a bigger house and deal. Another person that has some, one of his kids is doing, okay, okay, great. The other one's kid got married. My kid's not married. I'm not going to think about it. Because if you don't have this gift, I could promise you're miserable. And if you do have this gift, I could promise that you're happy. That's how strong the gift is. The gift of indifference. The yetzer hara, the evil inclination, is referred to as the seor shabaisa. It's referred to like, like, the, like, like dough, like the flour, the, the yeast in the dough. What's the yeast in the dough? You ever see yeast in the dough? You ever take dough, you make chali, and you put in yeast. What does it do? It bloats the whole thing. The yetzer hara's biggest tool is to make, blow the thing up, blow the story up, make you care so much more than you even do, make you care so much about it, make it look so exciting to you, make it such a big deal in your brain. The greatest power that Yetzirah has is that all of a sudden something small feels so big, that pair of shoes looks so important, the party that they made looks like such a big deal to you. The Yetzirah's greatest strength is that he's bloated, is that he makes you see it so much more than it is. I'll tell you what I mean. If you're one of those people who don't have the gift, you know what I'm saying. You ever have a person who calls you on the on your phone and you see the name on your caller ID and you already get nervous? Do you ever have that? You just see the name and you get nervous. Once you have the conversation, it's actually not so bad. But just seeing the name, you either get worried or you get afraid, or you're like, here goes, it'll be one of those conversations, I'm not in the mood, or you know they're going to show off, or you know they're going to be insulting. There's something in the conversation, you see the name on caller ID, and you start to shake. Anyone here knows what I'm talking about? Don't have to shake your head. But you know, you know what I'm talking about? If you don't have the gift of indifference, you know what I mean. Because what does the Yetzirah do? He puts that name, whatever the name is, yeah, you, you can name it. You, you know the name I'm talking about. For you, it's one name. For me, it's another name. You see those names, and you're like, <sighs> literally, I've had times where like, I'm out or something like that, and I see the name. I'm like, I have to call back right now just because I, ha- I, can't, I can't think about the name without knowing what they want. I'm going to get it out of the way. I'll deal with it, let them shoot, and then I'll deal with the shot. But I'd rather not know they have the gun in their hand when they still have the name on the caller ID. And you st- the Yetzahara makes you think about it and bloats it so much. The Nachash, the ori- origin of the Yetzirah, is the Nachash, the snake. He had legs. He was considered smart. Arum, what does Arum mean? Says the Sforno. His power, the Yetzirah, was to bloat things in your mind, to make you care, to make you get involved, to make to pull you in, to make you angry, to get you emotional, to get you excited. That's his power. His power is to build it up as much as he can. The men who had the greatest strength, the greatest strength of indifference, the greatest ability to pop the balloon, the greatest ability to make the the, the chali not rise, to not let the yeast be effective, the man who had the greatest strength to allow it just to dissipate is Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef HaTzadik could go to Egypt 
and he doesn't care. He sees kings, he doesn't care. He sees jail, he's not afraid, he doesn't care. He sees temptation of the wife of Potiphar, he doesn't care. He's not pulled in. Yosef has this strength more than anything else, the power and the strength of indifference. You can open the door because it feels a little hot in here. I'm going to give you a great example. This is not a Jewish example, but this, I, what? Maybe, what's it on? Yeah, yeah, that would be a good idea. Good. <laughs> no, don't touch that, don't touch that. Don't touch it? Okay, fine. So we're good. This is helping to bring some in. Let me give you the best example, and I think this example will make you see what we mean in a very clear way. What do you think is the most significant moment in the civil rights movement in the past hundred years? What is the most significant moment in the civil rights movement in the last hundred years? It's not someone who tore down stores in Manhattan in June. That's not what it is. It's not people fighting on some college campus. It's not bats or speeches even the most significant moment in the history of this, one of the most significant moments and the most significant moment in the history of the civil rights movement in the last hundred years is a moment that happened 65 years ago yesterday. An African-American woman got on a bus. Her name was Rosa Parks. On December 1st, 1955, she got on a bus and she sat in a seat that was supposed to be only for white people. And she sat in the seat. She didn't go on the bus thinking she was sitting on that seat. There were no other seats, so she sat in the seat. Someone came over to her and said, you know, you need to get up. That seat's only for white people. And you know what her response was? Indifference. She just didn't care. This is my seat. No, it's not. Just indifference. But eh, you never sit. Just indifference. A woman in her 40s in Montgomery, Alabama, turned the country upside down just with indifference. Not with a speech, not with yelling and screaming, not with sticks and stones. Then you look riled up. You look crazy. You look chaotic. You look nervous. When you're indifferent, you look powerful. And if you ever see the picture, the picture just of a woman looking out the window on a bus, just indifferent and oblivious to whatever's happening around her. She'd be taken by the police, taken, arrested. She was just indifferent. And that one moment of indifference is considered such a powerful moment, probably one of the top moments in America in the last 100 years, such a powerful moment that it turned the country upside down just because one person was strong enough to be indifferent, to not care, to say whatever you're talking about, whatever you're busy with, knock yourselves out. It doesn't matter to me. That strength, the Havdil, that's the strength of Yosef HaTzadik. Yaakov, when Yosef is born, is going to have that power, that strength. And you know where you see it? Right away. Because you know what he does? He tells his wives, we're leaving. And they get up and they leave the house of Lavan. We're not waiting for his permission. We're not discussing it. We're not debating it. We're not negotiating it. We're not worrying about his opinion. We're just going to get up and go. 
and we're going to be indifferent to what his comments are going to be. All of a sudden, when you have this gift, you become so powerful. And people around you become so nervous. Because all of a sudden, Lavan comes chasing. And Lavan's kids come chasing. And they come running after him. And he's all worried. Till now, Lavan had felt like he had the upper hand. Work more, work more. Hashem protected Yaakov, but Lavan always felt like, in this argument, it was always Lavan who was dictating. When Yaakov Avinu had the power of his son who was just born, the son of Yosef, when he had the power of indifference, all of a sudden, the power shifted. And now all the power is in the hands of Yaakov. Now it's on Yaakov's terms. Lavan runs after him. Yaakov says, what would you like? Okay, no problem. I don't care. And then when Yaakov in this week's parasha sees Esau coming with 400 men, he does all the preparation. But when he comes to him, he's indifferent. Because Esau says, oh, wow, let's travel together. Yaakov says, no, it's not going to work for me. My kids, Hazathon, they're slow. They don't go so fast. They're too much sheep. I'm Hazit. doesn't care if Esau thinks he's powerful and strong. Let Esau think whatever he wants to think. Esau is off my back. I don't care anymore. You become so strong when you have this gift. You become so capable when you have this gift. Jealousy falls away. Arguments fall away. Insults fall away. So many things that rile us up and that get us so nervous fall away. If you're in a family, likely this stuff goes on in your family. You have siblings, your brothers, your sisters, your brothers-in-law, sisters-in-law, cousins, aunts, uncles. If you're in a family, almost 90% chance there's stuff that goes on in your family. There's conversations, you hear your husband on the phone, he hears you on the phone, you're talking to that one, you're fighting with that one, agreeing with that one, my mother said this, my sister said that, the other one said this, and you get all riled up and how many nights you go to sleep, she should have done that, she should have made the wedding here, she shouldn't have done it there, she had too many people at the wedding, she shouldn't have done it that way, they didn't wear masks, they should have done this, they should have done that, you get all into it. And then there's other people that have a good night's sleep. They don't care. Whatever. You know why? Because if life is a game, it's impossible to play every game. And it's impossible to win every game. You can't win the marriage game and the kids game and the money game and the popularity game and the nicest house game and the reputation game and the religious game and the cool game and the important game and the relevant game you can't win all the games you can't it's just impossible to win all the games you have to be indifferent to some of the games i'm not maybe i play basketball i'm not trying to play lacrosse i don't care you know what lacrosse even is it's some game i don't care about it doesn't matter to me i don't care if i'm good at it it's not my game so i am living my life I want to be successful in my thing. I don't want to play everybody's game. I can't be in everybody's game. I can't win everybody's game. Because everybody I know, that I know well, has a one-up on me. And everyone I know well, I have a one-up on them. There's something that they have better than me. There's everyone I know. And there's something that I have better than them. Everyone I know just is that way. One kid, my kids are better. The other one, my marriage is better. The other one, my money is better. The other one, my house is better. The other one, I'm better at religious. I'm a better learner. There's always someone has a one-up on me. And there's always someone who I have a one-up on them. I can't be in the game. I learned this when my second daughter was dating. I was like, so edgy. How fast is she going to get married? How fast is she going to get married? And my wife kept telling me, Joey, what are you talking about? She'll marry the right person. I'm, but so many, some people including me, was in the I got to get the first to the finish line game. I got to be the first one to the center. Who cares? So cousins go first, aunt cousins go first, friends go first, they go first, they go second. I'm not in that game. It's lacrosse. I don't care who wins the game. 
I want to marry the right guy. It doesn't have to be the best guy. It doesn't have to be the first guy. It doesn't have to be the wealthiest guy, the smartest guy. It doesn't have to be. It has to be the right one. I'm not in all the other games. I'm not going to play the other games. I'm going to be indifferent to those games. Which is why we're told in Shema every morning, and we'll conclude in a couple of minutes, we're told in Shema every morning, Don't let your eyes and your heart pull you. You know what that means? Don't let the Yetzirah make something around you look bigger than it is. Don't let your eyes get pulled into being, caring, and make, giving significance to something that doesn't need significance. It's a statue in Rome. It's the same thing as flies swirling around grapes. It doesn't matter to me. It's not important to me. It's not relevant to me. It doesn't matter. Yosef Asadi could be put in Egypt when he was when he was in the jail cell in the lowest on the ladder of society to when he was the most powerful person on the earth. His approach was the same. It comes from a heavy strength of amount of faith. I have faith in Hashem. He's I'm playing my game. I'm not playing yours. I'm not playing yours. I don't care about yours. Not Oh, you have money, you must be you're a bad person. Or your kids are great, you, you know, you, you got lucky, or you did something, you decided your house is dead. No, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Your kids are great, let them be great. Your kids are wonderful. They all got married, they all got married. Not they all got married because they sketched or because they just look pretty, but they're not really good people. I'm not going to go there. I don't care. I'm not in the game. I'm indifferent to the game. Maybe I'm just giving a speech to myself. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's why when we say the Shema, the most powerful phrase in Judaism, we put our hands and our eyes. Because I don't want to see anything. I'm not Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokim Hashem Echad. Hashem, I just want to see your game for me. Hashem, you are one. Me and you. That's the game I'm playing. I'm not playing any others. I don't want to get pulled. I don't want to get wrapped in. I want to have the strength of yourself. That, that's, okay. that's why we cover our eyes, because we don't want to be distracted. We don't want to be pulled into those things that we see that become so much more meaningful than they need to be. Have you ever looked back in your life? And again, if you're one of those people who care and think about things, you'll know what I mean. You ever look back in your life and say, one second, I spent two years thinking about this thing, and it turned out to be nothing. How did Yitzhara do that to me? How did he get me worked up? How did he get me jealous? How did he get me insulted? How did he get me in that argument? How did he get me spend the whole winter on this or the whole summer on this? How did he get me to do that? I feel so dumb now. I feel, so why did I waste so much energy? I have a limited amount of energy. I'm going to put some energy in every game, one energy in football, another one in baseball, another one in basketball, lacrosse, soccer. I'm not playing those games. I'm playing the game I play. Why did I put all my energy in all those games? Why did I put my energy in her marriage? Why did I put my energy in his kids? Why did I put my energy in what their house looks like and what it's going to look like and what it does eventually look like and think about it all that time? Why can't I have this? Why can't I be so much more powerful than Haman? Why can't I look at things around me and just see them as powerless and see some of them as meaningless? Once Yaakov Avinu had this tool, his son Yosef had this tool. Rachel Imenu, right when Yosef was born, would display this tool and say, here's these terafim, these things that my father made such a big deal out of. I'm going to show you that they're nothing. Once Yosef is born, once Rachel shows this strength, Yaakov Avinu shifts the balance of power. Lavan has no more power over him. Esav has no more power over him. Because Yaakov Avinu has the gift of indifference. Now before we conclude and tell you a story, I need to make one thing clear. This 
is also dangerous because sometimes people use indifference and they belittle other people. So you could have something your husband really cares about and you're indifferent towards it and it's insulting and it's hurtful. Sometimes the family could have something they care about and it's insulting and it's hurtful because you're indifferent. Indifference needs to be used at the right time. When it's used the right time, wrong time, it can be very offensive to somebody. And also, there are times where issue doesn't need indifference. An issue needs to be addressed. Sometimes you look at a situation and you're the person who can address it and you need to address it. But then there are times when you're not the person to address it. Or even if you think you are, you're not capable of addressing it. And you need to be indifferent. Sometimes you have to see you can wear a t-shirt or say something and be indifferent towards it. I'm just going to let it go. Sometimes you need to address it. It's a fine line of when you need to address it and when you need to ignore it. But knowing when makes you a very, very, very powerful person. Knowing when, if you know how to be indifferent and when to be indifferent, you become very, very strong. And people around you start to become almost in awe of you and sometimes even intimidated from you because you walk in and you don't care and they can't believe it. What do you mean? You didn't care? It didn't matter to you that that person decided not to come to you for the holiday? It didn't matter to you that that person decided not to spend time with the family? It didn't matter to you that that person didn't come to your wedding? It didn't matter. I'm happy at my wedding. I'm good. I want to show you a little bit the strength. And I think that this little story is one such example. Although you may not see it right away, but to me, in hearing, reading the story, it was indifference that was the most powerful component and the most powerful ingredient in the whole thing. There was a girl a number of years ago, it lived in Israel, a completely secular girl, who called up a rabbi in Israel named Rabbi Gellis and said, Rabbi, me and my friends, we'd like to see a real Yerushalmi woman. We want to see hardcore women from Yerushalayim. You know, those women that live that way in simplicity. We want to see one of those women. Rabbi says, I have a woman. Her name is Mrs. Cohen. She is going to be the bed. Let me just make sure I can arrange it. What's the story of Mrs. Cohen? She lives in Me'asharim. You know what Me'asharim is? In the heart of Yerushalayim. Poor looking neighborhood. She lives in Me'asharim. She's a seamstress. She has a store. She closed the store on Thursday afternoon to prepare for Shabbat. Mrs. Cohen is the right one for you. Sure enough, Mrs. Cohen said, no problem, Thursday afternoon, late Thursday afternoon, these girls, four or five girls, this girl and our friends, come to this house, secular girls, totally Chiloni, Israeli girls, coming to the house of the most religious woman on earth. And they had tables already set, and the woman says, we're going to bake chali together. She makes the dough, she gives each girl their dough, they knead the chali, they do the whole process, whatever it takes, they bake the chali. Each girl walks, she tells her story and her life story and about what she, what she, how background and her living and her family and all these wonderful things. They stay there for two hours. Each girl takes, she gives each girl a little bit of chali and they leave. That's it. That's the story. Two years later, Rabbi Gellis gets a phone call from that girl. You remember me? Yeah, I remember you. She says, I got married since to a completely irreligious guy. We moved to a moshav up north. Completely irreligious neighborhood. Completely irreligious. She says, but the one thing we did is every Friday I bake chali. And I told my husband, this is very important to me. We'd have Friday night, we'd have chali. And then right at that, we'd open up our computers and TVs and completely do what we did. After a few months, my husband said, why don't we do it on Shabbat morning also? I like the chali. So I started doing it Shabbat morning. 
Now my husband, and then right after that, we get in the car and drive to the beach. Now, my husband started saying, you know, you're doing everything. I should do something. He does a little research. He finds out about this thing called Kiddush. He starts making Kiddush. Each week, we start introducing another element of Shabbat until we became completely Shomer Shabbat. The rabbi says that's an incredible story. She says, but now in our Moshav, there's a shul that hasn't been used in 100 years. It's an old building. The students of the Baal Shem built the shul. We want to refurbish the shul and make a minyan for Rosh Hashanah. The rabbi says, you want to make a minyan for Rosh Hashanah? How are you going to do that? No one says, we want to work on it. If you could get us 10 people, we'll get the books, the talets, we'll get everything you need. Sure enough, the rabbi calls a, gerig, a group of gerich hasidim, the rebbe's son, the son calls the father. He says, we can do it. We send 10 hasidim. So on this moshav where people are saying, what are we doing minyan here? Why do we have a shul for? It's not our style. It's not what we do. It's not what we believe in. We're not religious at all. It's not our thing. Before you know it, there's 10 hasidic men coming in Rosh Hashanah with their tall hats and their spudics and their long coats and the whole thing. And people in the neighborhood started joining. They asked them to come back for Kippur and for Sukkot and for Simchat Torah. Before you know it, everyone in the neighborhood became close to these Hasidic rabbis. They started learning with them. They opened up a shul. They hired a rabbi. They then this realized a year or two later was Shemitah year. And the rabbis talked to everyone and they decided they're all not going to work on their fields of Shemitah. The neighborhood now has two shuls. It has a rabbi. It has a school. It has a yeshiva. All these people that are growing in Torah Mitzvot. It even has a tree that they made Bekata Ilanot on on that first year with the rabbi that hadn't seen fruit in 70 years. And that year was the first year that it did. And they brought a bowl of fruit to Rabbi Gellis for making that original phone call. And he brought a bowl of fruit to the Gera Rebbe for making that, bringing those ten chassidim to make the minyan. You know what to me is so great about this story? One woman in Me'asha Arim minding her own business. Not saving the world. Not changing the world. She has girls coming to her house. She's not changing them. She's not brainwashing them. She's not convincing them. This is what I do. I'm just doing what I do. Here's my chali. Here's my Shabbat. Smell the smell of chali. You do whatever you want to do with it. We become most powerful when we know how to use this tool. We become like Rachel, Yaakov, and Yosef, who had the strength to walk through the streets of Rome and realize that all I'm looking at is flies. <laughs> to be able to look around you and see things in your life that really shouldn't matter that much. And I'm not going to let it. There are times when I have issues that I have to address. And then there are times where I feel a little jealous or I feel a little insulted. Or maybe I feel pulled into an argument. And my response is going to be, I have the gift. I have the gift of indifference. Thank you. Thank you.